Pisces. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Exploration. And we're also going to talk about how that aligns with leadership. And that's the conversation we're going to jump into. Also, I have had Sarah Safari. Sarah, she, she has climbed the tallest peak on each continent. She's been on Everest, but she was there in 2015 when there was a there was an avalanche that really killed about 20 people at base camp. She was going to go back this coming year and then COVID hit. And so she's she has an eye on 2021, but doesn't yet know for sure if that's going to happen. And of course, this episode I just mentioned on Roald Admondson, that was a really, really fun conversation. I had not heard of him. Maybe we get to know you a little bit, and then we'll get to know about your climbing career and your explorations. Uh, <laughs> wow. And then we'll go into well, leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's all coming together. I, I was uh, born in the mountains in Chile. We, were, we have a lot of mountains here, the Andes, of course. Um, so the, part, the southern part of the Andes are called Patagonia. And, uh, and uh, I climbed. My, my mother said she got pregnant of me in a ski resort at some 10,000 feet, and I was born up in the mountains uh, in, the, in the old days when we lived the mountains. Now we, we don't leave them much. We just go on, on trekking or expeditions or whatever. Yeah. I was uh, moved to Germany, moved to Spain at an early age, and uh, at 12, I climbed my first big mountain with my mom, dad, and grandpa. I never stopped since then. My first expedition was an age 15, three weeks with me and a bunch of friends, and Climbed one of those seven summits that you were mentioning, Aconcagua, when I was 19, um, solo climb, or tried to do a solo climb. There were so many people in the route that still find people most of the route other than the last part to the summit. Yeah. And then there was a dead body in the summit, so I wasn't alone in the summit either. <laughs> yeah. So, but but it's, it's uh, mountains are, are a good uh, experience and a lot of learning if you want to listen. If you don't want to listen, you you probably there's a lot of people in the in the cemetery and they have dear good friends who passed away because of mountaineering accidents. So that was one part of the life. The other life is the joy for meeting people from abroad with the young experience of living in Spain and Germany and, and the US too. All that came together to a life of uh, one set of jobs related to outdoors. I, I run an outdoor company, a dean of an university, CEO of a ski resort. <laughs> And then the other part is the engineering part of me that I and, and a couple of books with the with the sponsorship of ILA two books and uh, we're making a third one now out, outside the, the network of ILA uh, and a PhD and all that things related to related to leadership and the other side is just engineering solar projects lithium development projects uh, drilling in parts of the US and Canada for for uh, water and, and other resources so. So that's that's been my life, but it's always there to try new things. I met new people like you on the board of ILA. I was very excited the years we served together. And I miss you when you left, and 
and I, I and, and just uh, I left myself after my second term. So, well, although you have you have so much <clears throat> going on, so many different interests, I have great respect. And let's let's land on climbing for a little bit. So take me okay. through the, the tallest peak you have summited would be K two. Is that accurate? Yes. Well, I was part of an expedition that we summit K two via a new route when we when we got the permit. But we were the second in the world to climb K two through that route, the south southeast ridge spur of of K two. Okay. Nineteen ninety six. I was. I'm now fifty three. That was twenty nine. I think twenty nine. Wow. So you're 29 years old. Would you take us through that experience? Would you take us through Oof. what that looks like from a, from a leadership standpoint even? How does leadership work yeah. on an expedition like that? Is there a formal role that's set? Does everyone just know their role and follow through? I'd love to hear yeah, more we, about we that. Had a, yeah, we had a three-year training experience. And not only training every day from January 1st to December 31st every year and every afternoon and over the weekends and holidays and et cetera. But we also uh, prepared ourselves as a team. We started 14 people originally, only seven went. We had to put money ourselves to finance the expedition. My mom and dad are mountaineers, maybe not as experienced as, as I am, but they knew exactly where I was going. One out of every four people that goes to K2 dies on K2. So it, it's the highest ratio of death of the 8,000 meter mountains, of the people who summit and very famous people have died there. So we train all that part. We become a very solid team based on skills. We brought social skills. We brought uh, technical skills, of course, and we brought a lot of personal skills. We were not the best climbers of Chile or anything, but we tried this very hard mountain, very hard route with people with all walks of life, people who had a doctoral degree, people who haven't finished high school because had to start working to support their families. And, and we uh, align be- behind this objective of being the first ever Latin American team to climb K2 via a hard route and survive. Actually, it was the first goal we set up was come back alive. The yeah. second goal was to climb the new route. And the third goal we actually ended up was part of the fundraising. We had to open up to the experience to others. The, the movie was featured in, in National Geographic, in Chilean TV, the book, and became very public expedition back then. So we train a lot. We try to replicate here in the Andes anything that we could find in the Himalayas. It's not quite the same. So a mountain that took a week to climb, we climb it in two days. If we want to ride bikes, we'll ride bikes. Not at the normal time of the people, like 6 or 7 or 8 in the morning. We'll start at 4 a.m. in the morning with, with, the, with headlamps. So we did a lot of that and a lot of work with psychologists in situations we saw videos of people dying in the mountain. We actually brought somebody from the UK who was the only survivor of a 13 people death in K2 back in 1995. Wow. And had a book about it. So we trained all that and we ended up leaving all of those things. We almost lost two team members. We had a very almost close to the summit rescue of, of him, of one of those two. And the other one was a little bit better, but both in very bad shape. And we barely made it, barely made it despite everything. So at the end... It was not only about the, all these things that I mentioned, but also about values. Yeah. Uh, the value of sacrificing yourself. I, I didn't summit. I was on my way to the summit. I had to come back with somebody to rescue yeah. him. And I didn't doubt it for a second. And no, nobody doubted. And, and, um, and, and we made it, made it work like that. It was really, like I said, stressful and, and, and hard. 
again, we had no satellite phones, a lot of things that today you take for granted. K2 doesn't have any support of Sherpas, or at least in those years. So we did the mountain by ourselves, the whole mountain. No, uh, very technical, very almost 90 degree route most of the time. So I, I lost one set of glasses. They came tumbled down some 10,000 feet, big wall. So we did it and learn a lot of things through that process. Again, tell me about value. that. Tell, tell me about some yeah. of the learnings that as you reflect on the well, experience. Well, one thing is resilience and uh, and you, you don't need heroes for the day. It's such a big, it's a three months, almost three months climb, 70 something days in the mountain plus coming in and, and getting out. And you have to be very focused, be very worried of your emotions, especially when people start dying around you. Uh, three people from South Korea died in a nearby mountain. Uh, dear, we met this uh, an Italian party climbing K2 via the normal route and become friends with them. And we just witnessed the death of one of them who fell to our route and, and saw the body and everything. And a lot of remains from older expeditions. Uh, a couple, uh, a mother and the widow, a famous climber, arrived in Cape Base Camp to to see the mountain and, and witness where the husband and son had died the year before. So it was really, really strong. And so you needed a resilience. You needed some sort of optimism, some sort of uh, clarity with the objective. Again, the first objective coming alive. We actually sacrificed the first window. We went up, but the, the window didn't hold on the mountain and we canceled our ascent and descent and bought us some more time sending the only external help we had, the cooker and the system cooker, running down with a handwritten fax to be sent to the world to extend our permits and, and move it and everything. And, and on that same day is when the Italians and the North South, South Koreans die. Four people die on that day when we choose, let it go and let's try it again. And, yes. and we did try it again at two weeks later and successfully did it. But again, almost paid the price of losing someone. So so it also it also becomes... Why are we doing this? this why, why, why is the purpose of this? <laughs> why did you do it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a famous phrase by the first leader of the successful British expedition because it's there. That's his answer. Because, because it's, it's there, there. Yeah. yeah. But but that thing is still there and it will be there for a long time. I don't yeah. think A2 or Everest on any of those big mountains will disappear. But if you're willing to learn, and, and for me, when I come to a stumble point on anything, I said, I've been better. I've done things at a higher standard. I've been part of a high-performance team. And so one thing is I've been better. And the second thing is I've been with people who have helped me carry through. This is this can climb K2 at least at my level by yourself, solo climb like I did at Concagua. You need others. And the, this other team were very different. Again, we were not the best climbers of Chile or the world, but the combination of our assets and our resources and the way we handle together for making jokes, for for cheering ourselves up, for keeping silent, respecting private spaces, from waking up every day at two in the morning, drink a gallon of water before going out so our blood will be thinner and we wouldn't freeze our fingers or, or, or feet. And every day and every day and every day and every day and, 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 and witness all the things that happen and we stick together and, and we made it. And we were not friends. Some of us were, but, but not the whole team were friends. We just connected through through the mountain, through the objective, through the goal we were sharing. And I've been seen in a professional life and when I consulted with teams, there's a big difference between teams who have a soul, who have a purpose, who 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 are 
more generous and collaborative versus teams who are selfish and different agendas and disaligned and so on. Yeah. And it, it all, it's always the same. It's always the same. So the mountains is a good excuse to have documented all those things and, and have photos and something to tell. But life is, is like that and, and work life is like that. Uh, so so that's my takes. Uh, As you are are building the team, I love the, some of those stories. They were really, really incredible. And, and even the story of you saying, look, I had to help save somebody and it wasn't even a thought in my mind. No. I knew exactly what I had to do. It would sacrifice my getting to the summit, but we will save this person. Are all of those norms set ahead of time? Do you all have rules of engagement, so to speak? How did you align that and organize we, yourself? Well, we, again, we, 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 solve a lot. we try to recreate a lot of uh, crisis situations, climbing mountains in shorter times, harder routes, even biking in the different crazy times. The, the, the leader of that part was a very successful climber who had climbed K2 via the, hey, Everest, sorry, via the hardest route and everything. He wasn't the leader of the expedition, but he was kind of the natural leader and yeah. leading by example. But then at the same time, we stopped every two Thursdays and we talked with psychologists and so on. And we, and we talked about these things. What happens if we have to, if, if there's uh, not enough resources to everybody's summit, if we have to, okay, we agreed that if any, any one of us, even one, will be enough. And we planned for two out of the seven. Really? And, and the mountain had so much snow that we say, if we send two, We'll send them to die because they'll be with snow up to here and that will take a lot of uh, energy out of them so we double even in bad weather really bad weather we had we double our efforts and, and put enough resources for four to go to the summit and then we said okay if they come back safely three more can cl- climb the next day and all of us can climb yeah well that wasn't the case we were going up from eight thousand meters to the summit and this person fell ill and and and, and we all moved around to save miguel but there wasn't a real leader, like like when you're really connected and you really make that connection, that bond, and then you, of course, you talk about these hard things. We wrote diaries, for example. Yeah. We, you're walking in a flat place, beautiful mountains, all that. You're, it's early, the, the sunlight is just coming out in the early morning after you drink all the water or there's the moon out there. And you start seeing bodies, not full bodies, heads, shoulders, hands, some from the 40s, 30s, and some more, more current days. And then we all wrote in our diaries, what the heck is this? Yeah, I want to go home. I, this is not where I train. And we all share those feelings. And in our base camp tent, where we spent 80% of the nights, or days, nights, I'm sorry, because we, we, we prepared the mountain, but we always came back to base camp around 17,000 feet to, to have a, a good night's sleep and to, and to recover from the effort. And while we were setting up the mountain, we all wrote the same thing. But I didn't tell you, Scott, or I didn't tell that other person. When, once we did the book, we find out that we all were sharing the same. One day, somebody wow. raised their hand and said, let's do something about it. Let's pick up a good day. Let's not climb. Let's talk to the other expeditions, the Japanese, the Germans, the Americans, and the British, and let's do something. Yeah, and we collected all those dead bodies. A full day with with gloves and everything. We found out that we had the only doctor in base camp of K two, and and with and we collected all the dead bodies, took photos for the families in case anybody wanted to recognize them, marking with the GPS where they were, and had a, a ceremony in different languages, and that's how we we celebrated those people. Wow. And then. Life came again, the sun came up again, and we climbed the mountain again. But we did a, we did a gift to each other. 
and not on purpose. Okay, I will eat this up, <laughs> be scared, and 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 instead of taking everybody down, we took more of a positive uh, account. Of course, it's impossible not to be a little bit scared and watch yourself harder in the mountain. This yeah. is like you going to play American football or soccer somewhere and, and you go to a stadium and a lot of people have been killed in that stadium. You know, you'll be going to be careful, light or beaten, very badly beaten in, in the sport. So it's the yeah. same. You've really scenario planned for everything. You've scenario planned for emergencies and crisis. You've worked with psychologists. You've worked on your physical stamina. You've tried to do more than... Uh, the normal person, like you said, would climb climb a mountain in a week. We're going to do it in two days. And your training, you said, for how many years was it? Three? Three years. Three years. We're three years. That is just incredible. That is absolutely yeah. incredible. But again, it wasn't. It was physical, but more than physical was to really bond us together and get ourselves aligned, and that's what we did actually. And that's a lifetime experience. How you can bond with people who are not your friends. I I climb. I, I led expeditions to Antarctica and other places with friends, and it's not always that easy <laughs> to do things with friends. Actually, say more about surprised. that. Yeah, well, when they're friends, and and we're in this Chilean Navy uh, vessel icebreaker down into the going down to Antarctica, they're gonna drop us in an island where it's only have been visited five in history the size of Rhode Island or something, a big island. And we're going to try to climb the second highest mountain of the Anden Antarctica Cordillera, the, the north to south Cordillera. Okay. And there's a problem because in military ships or Navy ships, you sh- can't go anywhere. And then, okay, you will hear a speaker said, we need to talk to the Chilean mountaineering leader. And everybody will look at me, my four friends. Said, okay, <laughs> you got to go. What do you guys do? Well, we were taking photos. Who was taking photos? Who did it? Okay, there I go. And of course, raising the money, the permits, a lot of things that I did. They did the things too. We were a team. and they, But that type, that type of accountability for those things where nobody wants to take responsibility, I'm the leader. And then we're in the mountain. Okay, yeah. I propose to do this and that. No, 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 I propose. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm the leader and I agree that we should take things democratically and everything, but... but it, that that's what that what that's what happens really. I mean, yeah. And we almost we almost died in that mountain, by the way, the big mountain in in Antarctica. We took uh, one photo, <laughs> froze with minus forty or minus forty five. Everything was frozen. The cameras. They, we had a thick layer of 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 ice outside our Gore-Tex jackets with the really? steam coming out of our and, and it felt like a, like a heavy coat and everything we had covered by skis. Now we had to do it by hand. It fell into a crevasse and was really, really 27 hours without stopping to climb that, that mountain and come back in, in Antarctica and, and then wait for the boat to pick us up. But so leading friends, sometimes you have an experience with your friends and everything, but but the, the, the professionality part of it, <laughs> not guaranteed, not guaranteed. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, well, when I... you're 26, you're 26, you think it is. Of course, now I'm 53 and you know some friends are not okay, let's stick with friends and let's not do things together or projects or business (laughs) together. But when you're 26, you don't have those dimensions. You don't. Again, my first expedition was when I was 15. So when people ask me, do you know how to cook? I said, I don't know how to cook, how to swim, right? I I own everything. I mean, how how can I? How can I not know? If at 12, I start climbing and 15, I started with expeditions three weeks or a month time, so. As you're leading others on some of these expeditions, 
likely people who have very, very little to no training. What are some things you observe when you're doing that work? Well, one thing is uh, there's always surprise. If you're going to, I mean, my style of leading is empowering people, of course. If there's real danger, you try to stay away from that. I, I, I led leadership expeditions to Antarctica with worked on MBAs for some 10 years, and I set that up and, and I did all that work. So you leave them with a space to empower them and everything. And, but what happens is you learn new things. Okay, there's not only this way of doing this. The students who are less skilled in mountaineering, much more skilled maybe in business because they study at Wharton MBA, yeah. they found a new way of doing it. Okay. And so you, you gotta, when you're empowered, you really got empowered. It's not like I let them play, but they don't know a thing. I'm the one. If, if, if your ego comes in, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're not truly believing in another, like a true other, as a self, as a self, self being uh, of value, you're 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 in trouble. You're yeah. really just just lying. You're saying you're empowering. So that's that's what it is. So I not only led, but I a big generation of people I trained, and some of them went much more. I'm very happy for them. Much more success than me in, in mountaineering. But uh, that's what a good professor does to, yeah. to teach others to go beyond them. And, and so it, it's empowering. It's, uh, it's trying to stay them away from trouble. If possible, let them put their fingers in the plugs and learn by that <laughs> without killing them. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the, and, and, and then try to have fun in the process and enjoy. And the, the good thing about mountaineering is like a lifestyle. It, it, a lot of people say, oh, a storm got you guys stuck in a tent for a week. Yeah, we had so much fun. We learned all the translations of a soup <laughs> in <laughs> Italian, in Russian, and you name it, or, or or the gas canisters. The gas canisters come like in 10 languages, and we know all those things. So we played stupid <laughs> games like, I don't know, uh, do a chess with the remaining spaghetti that we had or whatever. You, yeah. you really, you really... I, if you're stuck in a tent, then your only worry is to hit the tent so the snow that is about to collapse the tent is, comes down for a week and then go out for your human necessities and take some snow to melt it in and, and to eat something. I had Sarah <laughs> Safari in class about a, well, three weeks ago, and she said she was commenting on COVID, and she said, look, I have an apartment. I have running <laughs> water. I have food. I have a restroom. I'm good. <laughs> you don't need that much stuff. This is what Whitman said all this before us. Before, before us. He said all these things. When I came from big expeditions, I couldn't sleep in my bed. I had to put my, my sleeping bag for a few days and, and, a, and a mattress, a mountaineering mattress in the floor. I felt like my bed was really, really soft. And then the, the other things that happens is at a certain age, it becomes very uh, addictive. And also, sadly, like many other things, you think you have some sort of truth and, and you just are in the subway full of people and you want to scream out like people speaking of faith and go listen to God in this case. Okay, go to the mountains, go to the outdoors. Uh. So, but, but, and, and then, okay, maybe not everybody wants to hear that. Okay. Yeah. My engineering classmates, some of them, I, I took them to climbing or hiking or rock climbing or something, but a lot of them couldn't care less about my endeavors. And they just said, okay, well, other people have other things. This mountaineering is 
something that I enjoy a lot. I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> There's other things too. Yeah. So you become more like humble and everything. And then the real humbling experience was to lose uh, nine friends between uh, when I was uh, 27 until I was uh, 34 or something. In, in a lapse of eight years, I lost many, many friends who died, died because of mountaineering. Wow. And that was really hard on me and, and moved everything again. I finished, thanks to that, I finished my engineering career, got my master's degree in engineering. I set up more uh, rescue rules and and approval rules for, for going in expeditions for the people in my climbing club. Most of those nine were from there. Yeah. The German climbing club. And well, the, the, the big thing about death is, okay, it's a lot of suffering and things, but uh, I wouldn't trade any moment that I spent with these people because I, in, in extraordinary circumstances, we shared special times. We went to special places and not only the mountaineering. Mountaineering came with a poetry, with, projects of climbing contests, of cleaning the mountains, the access funds, a lot of things that we started, this group of friends. So, well, and did so the different mountains together. have different personalities? Yeah, 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 they do, yeah. Africa, for example, it's without the locals who you are forced to, to use, but they're a big service, especially in Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. Because you, it's a good excuse, mountaineering is a good excuse, and sometimes you get sponsors to pay some of the way to travel yeah. the world and see cultures and get to really know the culture. If you are with the Maasai for two weeks, you learn a lot of things about them, about how they, they behave. The same in South Africa, in not in mountains, but in, in, in wildlife, Reno sightseeing expeditions and outdoors expedition, leave no trace, etc. Yeah. The same, the same in, in anywhere, anywhere, Moab, Utah, <laughs> or, or Mont Blanc or whatever, whatever it is, you, there's always, uh, or in Peru, yeah, in Peru it was very special too. Climbing mountains in Peru to get to know the people there and made a lot of friends. Well, tell us a little bit about your doctoral studies. I'm switching topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I love that you have you've you've had these life experiences were that were so incredible and transformational, and then you you actually study leadership, and then you're doing your PhD at Pepperdine University. Yeah. Talk about your dissertation work. What are you exploring now as you do that work? I try to mix both sides of me, the engineering and the science with the, with the leadership and, of course, outdoors and everything. So I'm, I'm, my dissertation is focused on finding connections between successful high-tech companies the, the, who are in the Fortune 500, of course, Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, uh, Oracle, and others. It's a qualitative study. I've done, I already got approved, chapter one, two, and three. I'm now in chapter four and five, doing the interviews and then finalizing. The links between high-tech companies, culture, and, and, and leadership. What type of leadership do they exercise? Without saying the companies because of all the, all the IRB protections and everything. Yeah. It's not that much different from mountaineering. You empower people. You have devil's advocate. You have small teams. It's hard to climb a mountain with 100 people. You climb it with four or five. Yep. Even when we were seven, we were never the seven in the mountains. We were three or four at the most. How you're open to different conclusions, how you fight hard on the problems, soft on the people. All those things are part of that thing. And, and they are hiring two, they're hiring two, I mean, top companies. They're, they're, they don't care much about the titles. Of course, some technical background, but sure. they, they, they're looking more at the, at the people themselves. Interesting. The people themselves. 
And, and that's, that's what I found out. And two, they're worried, even though they have so much money, they're worried about the ethical things of what they do, how they do things. They're not the evil big tech as they're portrayed in the press. At least the people that I met, they're really, they want to democratize. Like I, my dream and you in, in, in ILA was to democratize leadership. And that's why you do this. And I'm very grateful for the podcast you do. These guys want to democratize the access to high tech. The gap is already increasing of those yeah. who have and who don't have. And these people are worried about that. So it's, again, some of the stuff that I learned in Montenegro in business where I empower people, small teams and all that, but also with some values, a set of values. It's not only about the money. The, and they do have a meaning and, and, and they try to, the people at least I interview, they're looking beyond that. And of course, all the things that are happening now. Yeah. Some of them move their office to attract talent. And this is office. What, what is it? <laughs> what are offices in nowadays with COVID? And, uh, and, and we travel and spent and had all these Congress and meetings and gatherings. And, and now it's all webinars and podcasts and Zoom meetings and Microsoft Teams meetings. And, and, but, but they're doing whatever they can. Some, some people have ad- adopted better than others. And some of our workers, it's not that easy because they're at home. They have a lot of things to do related to their family. So, so it's been fascinating uh, writing that. I've always been linked to more of a, a service leader, uh, a leader that doesn't have all the answers, yep. has a lot of questions, uh, flat organizations. So... I try not to be biased and I on purpose ask my research questions the other way around, but it came towards this end uh, of people who I never met before. Yeah. Uh, so and I don't know personally, so I'm happily surprised. So Aldo, what does the timeline look like for, for the dissertation? When are you thinking you're going to be finished? I, I, w- I was finishing, I thought in this December, but now it's going to be April because uh, the, the, the time to get the 15 interviews has taken me longer. Yeah, but like I said, eighty percent of the of the dissertation is done with all the literature review and the research questions and all those things. But uh, but I'm also trying to find uh, some some ideas because coming from a third world country like Chile or second or whatever you want to put us, I, I'm always worried about this this gap and our we are more of an untrusty society uh, versus the Anglo-Saxon and, and Germanic countries who are more are more uh, trustworthy. Okay. Regardless, regardless of your own view and, and, the, and the media and whatever, you're, you're more trustworthy. And, and I lived seven years in the U.S., so I really know. So, but, but that relates also to business and collaborative efforts and doing things and helping others. And uh, so I'm worried about tech is tech and it will always be tech and you need special brains and everything. But it's not only tech, it's the soft part of tech that I'm trying to find out how it works. Yeah. How, wh- how, what are the clues that make some people successful or not? Thanks now to internet and everything, people from, can work from any country with people in other countries. But still, if, if, if I'm giving you this interview and I'm untrustworthy and I said, oh, what am I going to get and, and you and this and that, it, I, I will, I, it, it will be a really choppy <laughs> conversation because I will be slapping <laughs> all the time with the calculations I'm making. And, you, and, you, and if you want to get something for yourself, selfishly, that's not the case. Again, you will be asking weird things to move me somewhere post. So the same with tech. If you let it flow and again be hard at the problems, soft on the people, and 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 be ready to try things that have never been tried, and and and, and over and over again that keeps happening, mostly in Silicon Valley in the U.S. with over the new and new inventions and new things, and 
and uh, and 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 so I'm trying to uh, listen to that and try to come to some conclusions why that is happening there so repetitively and so successfully. Well, and I love that you're seeing some connections in your work between mountaineering and some of what you're seeing in these organizations. And I imagine even in some of the gaps of what you're seeing that that there's lessons from mountaineering that could directly tie yeah. to to some of these experiences. Yeah. Uh, well, a friend of mine, one of the friends who passed away a couple of days ago, we celebrated 18 years once since he passed away. He says, mountains are there, mountains will stay, but uh, we will not be different. I mean, maybe we'll be different when we come out of them if we're ready to listen. And I've seen it. I've, I've been on with other people on a big expedition, climb something hard, and the, the first uh, journalist or the first radio interview or whatever, or the TV that comes and some who play the most heroic stuff and, and risk their lives for saving everybody, well, oh, no, it was hard, and but and we managed to get it. And others who didn't do any of those things, yeah, we almost lost our life, and I did this, and I did, okay. <laughs> so we, we're humans are humans, for good yeah. or for bad. So, <laughs> so it's a matter if you make the connection or not. The same like serving the board of ILA. Yeah. And, and I think we all were very generous and everything and donated time and efforts and pay our expenses to be there with the trips and everything. And, and at least for me, it was a big uh, uh, effort to, to be able to travel. And, but we did it with a good intention and, and that that's, that's very, sets us apart. It's more, not the mountain who is an excellent excuse to travel a road together with, with somebody and enjoy the process with that person or those group of persons, but it's, it's, it's who with who you do things. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what I've learned over the years to engage with people I, I trust and I care about. And then, okay, what is it? What maybe it's not a mountain, it's a book or it's yeah. something. So in this case, I'm privileged that you invited me to this along with other distinguished uh, speakers and uh, very uh, happy to help you as, as I can. And, and that uh, don't, don't uh, hesitate to contact me for anything I can help you. Although I, I very much appreciate it. Real quick. Before yes. we close out, what are you reading right now? What are you watching right now? What's What's been on your radar? Oh, well, 183 books <laughs> I had to read for that. It's probably an unfair question to you. As no, no, no. But I, I, I uh, subscribe to the New York Times and, and read a lot. And that brings a lot of literature. I forgot the name of this guy uh, who, who wrote this, the 20 lessons of the 21st century and uh, what's his name? The guy, the, uh, the, that and, and Thomas Friedman, a lot of articles about him, a lot of uh, poetry from women, a lot of stuff about uh, solar eclipses. We have one on Monday here in Chile. Uh, so, so I'm reading with my six-year-old son about that. Oh. His son is a, is a gifted son who went to read and write at age three. So, so a lot of a lot of uh, things from from all over the place, but 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 it, it, where are we going? It's kind of the I even wrote an article that was written in the ILA Journal of. I'm very. I, I think the right and left has changed in the world, and it's more alone or collaborative mm. because I see tendencies both on the left and the right of going isolated, and of course there's always many countries in the left and the right who go with other countries. So that along with the crisis of our times, who is for me is not COVID, COVID is one of the symptoms is uh, uh, 
global warming crisis. I, I've yeah. seen glaciers melt in my lifetime. Glaciers yeah. who were, I don't know, 10 miles long and now it's just half a mile <laughs> of ice. Wow. Everything has melted and the water that comes and feeds our cities is, is less and less. And it's like California, big fires in the summer, etc. So, So how are we gonna, as a human species, because the planet will not die. We will die as a, as a, yes. as a species. The, the planet will survive and we'll see what other forms of life come out of it. But but what are we going to do about it? And COVID and many things show, of course, you got to be protective of the people in your country and set up rules for immigration or so. But then that's also have a mentality of abundance. of yeah. and, and they acknowledge that we can't do it alone. Just yeah. like not climbing a mountain alone, keep the world, keep the world safe. It's not only safe about wars and things, it's about, it's climate change. Yeah. We're suffering. Southern Chile, like north, the northern north of the northern hemisphere, it's going to be shelter for, for people. Yeah. I mean, Santiago, who is like Central California, is becoming desertic by every year, and people are buying land in the south. The cows are moving south here. It's colder, going to Antarctica, and more rain, more forest, more timber. So the cows, the wineries, the grapes, the, and the people, everybody's going south, and because oh, the wow. desert is the des the desert is coming our way. Wow. This the same probably in, in the US. I yep. think people will start going to colder places. A good friend of mine is the CEO of the Red Cross in Northeast mm -hmm. Ohio and, and he said that it was the the most difficult year for hurricanes and the most difficult year for fires that they'd ever experienced. And every and, year we're seeing the record breaking of things. Antarctica too. A big chunk of ice of uh, how was it like uh, thousand square kilometers and something huge and an island of ice was floating away to King George Island, South George Island like a week ago. It wow. was going three feet per day, but the, the size of the ice was larger than the island where it was heading. I don't know what will it happen, but uh, we got to try, try to do something, not, not by ourselves. Hopefully the sustainable development goals and continued focus in that space by corporations, had a really yeah. fun conversation with Steve Kempster, who you know, and he, he was talking about this. Before we'll say this for our grandchildren, but now it's for ourselves and for our kids. That's how, how it's affecting us, <laughs> it's yeah. not, not the grandchildren anymore. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, thanks for your time and, and the interview. Aldo, thank you so much for the work that you do. I'm excited to have our paths cross again in person and I will buy you a pint. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so Be much. Well, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you have the chance to review the videos that I've placed into the show notes. It's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible what this gentleman has accomplished over the course of his lifetime. The practical wisdom for me here, uh, three years of planning, three years of planning. You've got a group of individuals with a shared mission, and they have done so much work ahead of time that we no longer even need to communicate. It's that, it's that portion that Sharna Fabiano talked about where it's just about creating. We're in flow. It's automaticity. So that shared mission, and, and Aldo said something that was just beautiful. He said, you know, I didn't doubt for a second. He knew exactly what his role was in that moment where he needed to help his fellow climber. 
The practical wisdom for me in this episode, team, roles, mission, clarity, preparation, planning. And Aldo said something in this episode that is a quote that will stick with me for some time. Hard on the problem, soft on the people. I hope you have a wonderful day, everybody. Take care, be well, and thank you so much for a wonderful conversation, Aldo. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.